All right. Well, we'll get started with the 20th Fireside Chat. Oliver, I'd like to say thank you to you for providing us with this format that you've set up. I'd like to um, remind everyone participating here and everyone listening in the YouTube audience that Oliver runs this server at his own cost. And there is a, a donate button within this fireside chat format. And I will have in my description on YouTube another button where you can donate so that Oliver can be compensated for all of his work that he does for this this fireside chat. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, I would like to mention our cultural connection tour. Um, the future events page on MBT events will show the cities that we propose to go to. Uh, thank you to those who have already booked. Frankfurt is in the lead, and we are certainly on our way to uh, coming out to Frankfurt there, and hopefully all the other cities will fall into place. We just finished Atlanta with Tom, and to point out the value in attending a live workshop, the comments that we've received were very encouraging. Um, it was surreal to meet Tom in person. Uh, to have one-on-one -on -one time with him was invaluable. Uh, we realize that some of you may not be able to attend these workshops that we're proposing for the Cultural Connection Tour. Some of you are looking forward to the video that we would produce as a result of this tour. Um, so those of you who can book, uh, please do so at your earliest convenience before May 31st. You'll find the Future Events page on mbtevents.com where you can book so that we can go ahead with the tour and we will have a video uh, to share with you that way. Um, just from the 35 we met in Atlanta, we've made new friends, new connections. We're inspired with new projects, um, proposals, and discussed um, various things to spread awareness of MBT. Your stories and comments about how MBT changed your lives, in some cases, uh, helped relationships and saved lives, uh, continue to inspire us and always fuels our passion to bring MBT to as many people around the world as possible. So help us do this if you possibly can. Now we'll start today, hello Ingeborg, uh, with Ingeborg and everyone can read their own questions, but let me call them out in order for you because some of these have um, similar um, similar subjects, and so I'm going to group some of them together. But Ingborg, if you'd like to start with your question on the Amarta tradition, please go ahead. Yes, yeah. yes thank you. So I'm the first today. Really, really, uh, I'm very, you know, astonished. <laughs> but uh, of course, I, I, uh, I start with my question. Thank you. So when I was about 20 years old, I met the Avatar Babaji in a dream. I had, a, had read a book about him before. A little later in a dream, I saw the valley where the so-called Amartya Masters live. January 15th of this year, 2016, 37 years later, by chance I found a book about this valley and the masters who live there. These folks have mastered 
matter to a reality, really incredible degree. I read about 20 pages of this book and in my dream that night on January 15th this year, I saw one of these masters in his living ground. January 25th this year, I experienced Samboga Kaya, which is a bliss body. I simply was an energy field, nothing else was left. There was another bliss body present and we joined and it was a simply wonderful feeling. It, I, it was pure happiness. Next day I read about this body in the book. Also other dreams I had last year point to a certain inclination that I obviously have towards the spiritual tradition. I don't know why, it simply happened. It is obvious that Tom <laughs> and these masters teach the same thing. Only the terms are different, at least this is my, uh, my, uh, my uh, I suppose this. So I ask you, did you ever meet entities of this uh, spiritual tradition or did you have ex exchange uh, uh, each, uh, between each other? Do you ex exchange experiences? What is the landscape or horizon you are working? I mean, you, Tom, and these Amartya masters. Uh, or, and what are you heading for yourself? Uh, yes, if there is any connections, what are you heading for? So thank you for any information. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, there was a whole bunch of questions there at the end. So let me try to sort them out. Um, mm -hmm. um, do I and, and these others uh, integrate, uh, discuss, uh, you know, hang out, uh, you know, help develop plans and strategies and that sort of thing? No, um, not so much like that. Uh, it's pretty much everyone doing their own thing in their own way and their own choices. There's not a lot of organization. And the reason for that is when you live, when you work in a, in a, a um, I can say an organization, that's not quite right. When, when you live in a world that's based on free will, there's really only but so much planning that you can do uh, because everything changes as people exercise that free will. So the, you can only plan so far. And if you plan too far ahead, you usually find out that you end up tripping over your own plans because plans have to be made kind of on the spot, as they go, everything has to be adjusted to the situation on the ground. So there really isn't a lot of planning going on. There are ideas, there are concepts, there's what we're trying, you know, what's, what's, what's trying to be done, the goals, the, you know, the lowering of entropy, the, the growing toward love, the getting rid of the fear and the ego. Now that's fundamental. And yes, you hear that and it sounds the same. You know, no matter whose lips it seems to be coming from, those are the fundamental goals. And then everybody just does what they can to, you know, further those goals, to, to help others get rid of that fear, get rid of that ego. And often the best thing you can do to help is just be, just be, yourself get rid of your own fear and your own ego such that uh, you know you are a, an example of a light that shines that everybody else notices and whether they notice at their intellectual level or not 
uh, that's not the point. They do notice at their being level and it is inspirational, you know, at their being level. So it has a, a big effect on, on other people just, just to be. So it's not that anything we particularly do that's so clever or such a good plan. The plan is just to be, to uh, help as much as, as one can in the, in the ways that one can. So that's kind of the connection. Not, it's not so much that there's this group that wants to manage the, you know, how the future unfolds. Managing how the future unfolds is generally counterproductive. You've got to let the future unfold however it unfolds. And if you can give it a nudge at a, at a critical point now and again, well, that's about as much as you can do. But there's not a lot of planning that, that goes into it. Um, now that you've seen that you, you seem to have this uh, connection where you have an experience and then you read about it later and then you have another experience and then you read about it later. It seems like there's a, there's a plan going on here. And I suspect that that plan is one that is custom fit for you. That's why you get those particular dreams that you get because there's something highly probable about to pop up in your reality and you won't get as much out of it if you're not prepared, if you don't have a bigger context in which to uh, interpret the meaning of what you read. So you get that context in the dream before you read it in preparation. It's just, uh, it just makes it more effective for you. You're going to learn quicker that way. So that's the, uh, you know, that's the way you're getting it. That's, you know, Good for you. You know, that, that's good. Uh, again, we, we come to the same conclusion that, uh, you know, you're on a path of progress and that uh, this path is being nudged so you can more optimally and more easily understand what's, you know, what's going on in the bigger reality. And that's a, that's a good thing. But, you know, that happens to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people where they're getting nudged and some know they're getting nudged like you obviously do now because you've been through this enough. You, you see the connections, but a lot of people are also being nudged that have no idea that uh, they're all they're They're being nudged as well. So is there any of your questions that I missed that I touch on most of everything. them or do you want to come back with one? No, everything is fine. Thank you. Okay. Well, welcome Sveta. We've, we've not seen you on this, um, forum before, so welcome here. Sveta's question is on the Jungian notion of archetypes. I've heard Tom mentioning Jungian archetypes. How does this notion fit into MBT? Same for soul. Does it have a place in MBT? Also, do you personally make peace with the fact that your loved ones might never cross your road? I find it very painful, but we'll try to find a way if that is required for everyone's best. Thank you. Okay. Um, yes, Jungian archetypes. Um, come out of the fact that we are all netted. Every, every uh, individuated unit of consciousness is netted with every other. So all of us have communication with the rest of us. Now that communication is often not intellectual. It often happens beneath the intellectual level. It happens at the being level where we're often not aware of it, but we are connected and we share things. 
And some of that sharing results in kind of group behavior or group symbols, you know, group attitudes, uh, which are then uh, these archetypes. We, we kind of uh, agree on, on uh, some larger points. And these archetypes form at the uh, species level. They're human archetypes, a way we are just because we're human. And it's a, again, it's a shared uh, reality that we have with all other humans. When you belong to a group, you and all the group members that, that belong to the same group share your ideas, share your concerns, share your, your sense of being with all the other members of that group. So these archetypes go from the very large, like human species, to the very small, like, um, you know, uh, cultures, or even smaller than that, uh, organizations. You know, there is an archetype uh, for, you know, working at Microsoft or working at Google. If you work in one of those organizations, you begin to take on the characteristics of many of the other people that work in those organizations. You start dressing like them, you start speaking like them, you start thinking like them. That's an archetype just for that organization. Okay, so we have all of these archetypes, and sometimes they're in conflict with each other. So we have them at our, at our individual organizational level. We have them at our cultural level, at our national level, and, um, you know, regional and species-wide. So all of these are, are the ideas of mind-sharing information and in the way they are. Um, one of the examples of this sharing would be uh, uh, both the mob and the opposite of the mob. You know, when a bunch of people get together in anger, they all kind of descend to the lowest common denominator of feelings in that, in that group. So the mob is a lot worse thing than any of those individuals in the mob would be by themselves. Together, they encourage each other's anger, say, each other's outrage and whatever else the mob is, is, is doing. Uh, so that then becomes an archetype for that mob that they all share in. Now, the opposite works as well. The anti-mob, which is uh, people who are very grown, very spiritual, very full of love. When you are around those people, you tend to act better, more caring. You tend to see bigger pictures than you do when you're by yourself. So those, these archetypes can help pull you up or pull you down. Either way, depending on the sorts of organizations that you, you know, are a member of. Well, we're all a member of the human species organization. That's, uh, that's one we're all a member of. So we all kind of share in the uh, mental space of that species. Uh, so that's kind of how the archetypes work. Now, soul, yes, you can talk about your individuated unit of consciousness as your soul or the free will awareness unit. Either one of those you could, you know, is called uh, by that name sometimes. I didn't use that uh, nomenclature because I like to stay away from, from words that carry emotional baggage with some people. So I stayed away from religious terms altogether just because so many people have a different viewpoint about what that means. So there's no sense using words that are already confused in the population. I, I tended to find my own words and then uh, people don't come with preconceived notions about what that means. So that's why I talk about free will awareness units and 
individuated units of consciousness and don't use the word soul. But soul is an appropriate name for, you know, for both of those. It's the, it's the consciousness being, if you will, inside of the, inside of, inside being a metaphor, inside of the metaphor or the player of the, of the uh, avatar is the soul. Okay. So I, I use those words. Now, the last thing that you mentioned is one that a lot of people have trouble with. Uh, when people ask me about what happens after you die, after your avatar dies, you as consciousness or as soul, if you prefer, we go on. We don't die when avatar dies. And one of the first things that happens is our memory of this past life starts to go away just like dreams go away when you wake up. It's strong in the beginning and then it gets less and less and less. And this is very disturbing for many people because they, they want to stay connected to the people they love and care about. And the idea that they're going to let that go like it's a dream is kind of a, an unhappy, uh, disconcerting idea. But it's necessary. It's entirely necessary to the process. Um, for several reasons. One is you wouldn't want to have in your, in your conscious awareness memories of all of the uh, people that you cared about and loved in your you know, thousands or tens of thousands of incarnations. That would be just more than anybody could, could deal with. So obviously uh, having you know, 10,000 uh, spouses and, you know, 30,000 children and on and on and on of, uh, of uh, you know, 20,000 parents and so on. Of all the people you're very, very close to and you feel, you know, very committed to these people, it would get to be a little unwieldy if you kept all that in your mind. Secondly, when you start over with the next incarnation, it's important that you start over fresh that you don't carry forward into the next life the um the fears the ego the mental constructs the beliefs that you had in the last one it's much better to just take your quality the quality that you've earned to that point in other words learning is growing up is cumulative and you take that quality and then you have to express that quality in terms of a whole new set of experiences that you have in your next life. That way you take with you only what's in your being level and everything that's in your intellectual level, you leave behind because you're going to start a new life just with your quality, just what's in your being level. So that's why we don't take all this, we don't carry all this along in our intellectual level. The intellectual level for most of us just confuses us would just be uh, more than we could process. So it's a sad thought for many who are very attached to the, to the people here, but in the next incarnation, you'll be very attached to the people in that incarnation. And the one after that, you'll be very attached to them. And it's not like um, there's a loss in, in your memory, in the memory of your individuated unit of consciousness, all the connections that you ever had are still there. It's not like that's just gone and out of, you know, out of sight forever. And as you learn new things, the new things you learn, that new information gets integrated with all the old information. Because often 
uh, lessons are not just in the thing itself, but in the integration of that thing with all the other things. In other words, a collection of data can show you patterns, the patterns that you couldn't see just looking at the data itself without looking at a collection of a much bigger source of data. So the life you're living now, the information that that brings back to your individuated unit of consciousness, that information is going to be looked at in context with all the other uh, incarnations you've had. And if that helps then identify a pattern that uh, will help you with your growth, that's good. So the learning is cumulative. So all those relationships, all those connections that you have, they still are there, part of you, still are part of your total experience. They're not, they're not gone there. Where they're gone from is just your, your intellect. You no longer carry them forward in your intellect into the next character. But in your individual unit of consciousness, the memories, the data, the information all persists. So in a way, we lose them, but in a way, we don't. You see, we, we lose them as far as our intellect into the next incarnation. We don't lose them in as far as they're a part of us and will always be a part of us and part of the, part of the accumulation of experience that makes us who we are. Thanks, Tom. Sveta also has a question that some others uh, have also brought up. And I wonder whether you can answer this collectively. You've answered some already of what I think her question might be. She is um, asking about the two parts that we're consciousness, our free will awareness unit as consciousness and our individuated unit of consciousness as the player. How are these two to become one, and I think you've partially answered that. The other two questions from the forum users are on the complexity of consciousness. How can the body be a virtual avatar if it is composed of uh, billions of living cells? Uh, next question, um, basically, why is consciousness fundamental? So I think with Looking towards the ans- the question that Sveta has asked, the complexity of consciousness and unconsciousness being fundamental, can we answer all of those questions collectively? Yes, they're all re- they're all related. Um, trying to think of the best order in which to which to attack those. Um, um tell me the first question again i want to make sure i get the context right sveta's first question is um the avatar is aware of the game the consciousness which is the individuated unit of consciousness how do the avatar and the unit and the individual unit of consciousness uh, connect? What? Yes. What is there? What is that connection? How does one become the other? Become the other again? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I'll start with that one then. And uh, it's not that these are really two separate things. Okay. The individuated unit of consciousness and the free will awareness unit are really all one thing. So we separate them because there's these two different functions that are formed there. So 
you know, we, we, I, I separate those into two separate things with separate names so that we can talk about those two separate functions that are functions that consciousness, uh, you know, individual consciousness has to perform. But it's really all one thing. So you have a, a individuated unit of consciousness that needs to play in a virtual reality in order to have the experience that will help it grow. Now, how does it do that? You see, it doesn't want to do that with its own intellectual component because then it'll carry all this intellectual stuff into that experience with it. It wants to only interact with what it has at the being level so that all its interactions aren't managed by, a, by a, an intellect, but rather are just natural uh, expressions of the being level. So what it does is it takes a piece of itself. This is the, now I'm talking about the individuated unit of consciousness. It takes a piece of itself that is devoid of the intellectual part. It's just the being level part of itself. And it takes that being level, and that's the part that it walls off with a, with a uh, you know, th this piece of me now is going to be involved in this game. And it's going to be an immersion. It's going to be involved 100%. And it takes that piece, um, and that's the piece that gets logged in, if you will, to the to the uh, PMR game, and gets attached to a particular um, uh, being a, a particular body there, okay, a particular avatar, and then its first experience, that piece we call the free will awareness unit, and its first experience is the first experience of its avatar. It doesn't come with any prior experience, any prior memory, any prior intellectual um, content. Its first experience is that first experience maybe in utero or maybe of being birthed or whenever it uh, logs in for the beginning. Anyway, so then it's, it's immersed. It has no other experience except that experience that it can have through that avatar completely an immersive game. Now, eventually that avatar grows old, dies or has an accident and dies or gets a disease and dies. And when they do, this free will awareness unit first finds itself in a different reality frame, okay? Because it's no longer gonna be uh, into, the, into the frame where the avatar was. And then it progressively returns, if you will, now you can think of this either way, returns to the individuated unit of consciousness of which it is a part, or you can just think that it's discarded and now the, you know, individuated unit of consciousness uh, begins to, uh, um, you know, play itself, if you will. Either way is equivalent. It's not a, it's not a problem. It was just a piece of this individuated unit of consciousness. It still is. It's never left it. It's just been kind of, um, what do we call that in, in the computer? It's, it's just been a piece of the memory that's been allocated for that function. So it's not like you have two separate things. So if you, if you then reunite all that together, okay, nothing really is lost. Nothing, you know, it's not something new. It wasn't two individual uh, entities. It's just one. So that reintegrates. That, in, that reintegrates, and then it's the individuated unit of consciousness 
that experiences the uh, uh, oh, assessment of the past life, uh, lessons that should have been learned, uh, things said and done that uh, were pivotal in the consciousness, and it's the individual unit of consciousness then decides to go back and have another go under certain circumstances. Uh, you know, whether he's going to go by himself or with others, and all those arrangements are made by the individual unit of consciousness. Free will awareness unit now no longer exists. It's just the partition has been removed, if you want to say that. So it's not like you're actually discarding something. The partition between the two is just has just been removed. So now it's just one, one thing. Okay? It was always one thing. It just had this partition between pieces of that one thing. Okay, so that's that's kind of how they separate and how they get back together. So now this individuated unit of consciousness says, well, I need another incarnation. I need to learn these other things. So it takes a part of itself again. Now itself is a bigger self because now it has all the growth that it gained from that last you know, uh, incarnation, that last free will awareness unit made it different. It takes that information and integrates it with all the experience it's had before, decides on maybe seeing those patterns, grows up a little bit. Now it's a different individuated unit of consciousness because of that experience. Then it partitions off a part of itself again at the being level, devoid of intellect, and logs back into the, you know, to the PMR game. And... Uh, then starts again with a piece of itself experiencing, you know, this reality for the first time. So that's just the way it works. So that's the cycle. And that's how the, the two of them interact with each other. There's not really two things. Okay. These, these, these individuated things that I talk about, the free will awareness unit, the individuated units of consciousness, these are both metaphors. It's not a good idea to tend to think of them as, as uh, separate beings from the rest of consciousness. We're all a part of the one consciousness. We're all a part of the one bigger thing. But this one bigger thing has various functions, things that it needs to accomplish. And for that, we make up names for each of those functions. Okay? And the name of free will awareness unit is a piece of that larger consciousness system that has free will to interact with all the other pieces. It's still a piece of that larger consciousness system. And that free will awareness unit is a piece of that individuated unit of consciousness. And it serves a, first, a, a function. So we tend in our mind to make these things separate, um, separate things. But we have, to, we have to realize it's all one thing. It's all just consciousness, which then takes us back to these other questions of, like, why is consciousness fundamental? Well, Consciousness is the source of everything else. That's what makes it fundamental. Consciousness is the source of the individuated unit of consciousness that you are, of the free will awareness unit, of the entire system, the executive part, the, uh, you know, the, the new consciousness that are coming along and just getting started. Uh, you know, the old consciousness that have been around a long time and are in a, and, uh, are in a different kind of pattern. Um, all of this are just metaphors for this one thing. It's fundamental because it is the core thing that exists. All the rest of it is a product of consciousness, the virtual reality we live in, our universe. It's another product of consciousness. 
So that's why consciousness is is uh, is very fundamental. And Donna, was am I skipping one? Did I answer all of those, or is there one left? Well, does that answer Sveta's question? The, did you have anything to add to that, Sveta? I think I'm confused uh, at one um, point. Maybe it's just uh, one minute for you to answer. But um, to illustrate this, this is else. Um, Largest, uh, largest, uh, um, just one second. LCU is, this is LCU, right? This, oh, uh, mm-hmm. this is Sveta. This uh-huh. is Sveta's avatar, avatar right now with limited view, pr- probably right now, who I am right now, right? And the, okay. the, the piece of consciousness, uh, with a bigger view, the one that looks at me, at, uh, at Avatar. Do we ever meet? Do I ever get to know this bigger Sveta? Yes, you can. Get to know, you, yes, you can get to know that bigger uh, Sveta. Um, you can connect with that with your consciousness. Now, your Avatar has to support that. Because everything you experience has to be through the avatar's experience. But your avatar can learn how to meditate, can learn how to quiet its mind. And when it does that, then you, as the free will awareness unit, are consciousness too. And you can then experience all the rest of the consciousness. And you can experience yourself as consciousness. You can experience the larger you and you can connect with that. Um, yeah, there's not a barrier between the two, uh, but the way, well, I should say there is sort of a barrier there, but the, the way you get across that barrier, through that barrier, is by learning to um, have your avatar uh, learn how to set you free, if you will, in consciousness, because you can only experience the things that your avatar allows and your avatar learns to meditate, then you as consciousness are kind of set free in the larger consciousness system that way. It's your way to experience the larger self. And you can connect with that self and you can uh, communicate with it. And uh, it's, um, you know, that's available with you. You can also communicate with all other individuated units of consciousness, not just your own, but with all other individuated units of consciousness and with all other, uh, um, free will awareness units, if you like. It's just your intent is how you do that. You use your intent, you make that connection, and after that, it just depends on what you intend to get out of that. Are you seeking information? Are you seeking confirmation? Um, you know, why, you know, what is it that you want to uh, get from that? Is it just a matter of feeling unified and connected to the whole you? That can be a very expansive experience just to do that. So first have an idea what it is you, you, you want out of that situation and then have the intent to explore that and then take whatever comes. Okay? You have to be careful not to be too pushy about your, uh, your, you know, of what you want. You have to have an intent of what you'd like to happen, but then you have to accept however that comes. And the reasons that's good is because you don't really know enough to order you know, what comes. 
you kind of accept that. You have to realize that that uh, you're in the receive mode rather than the rather than the ordering mode. So you don't order things to happen. You you have an intent, and then you accept however that works out. And if that's not exactly the way you expected it, well then try again and see if it might work out differently. But you can't force the outcome, but you can focus the intent. That's how you do that exploration. And these explorations take a long time to really understand where you are and what you're doing. When you first start these explorations, it's very confusing because you're not sure what's what, you know, who's who, you run into things, you communicate, but who is that? Why are they there? Why do they say that thing? There's so much that you don't know. And a lot of that is just experience. Just be open-minded and be skeptical of everything. And eventually your experience will teach you who's who and what's what, and it will no longer be so confusing. And the things that you, that you want out of it, your, your intentions will start to uh, generally change as well as you, have, as you have experience. At first you want a lot of facts. Well, it doesn't come in terms of facts. It comes in terms of relationship, not facts. It comes in terms of uh, opportunities not facts, things, uh, you know, you'll see something, uh, you'll see a whatever, you know, you'll see a pink rabbit and, or a big flower. And the point is, what are you going to do with that? Do you just look at it and say, wow, cute little rabbit, nice little flower. I wonder where that came from. Or are you going to join it, go into it, talk to it, uh, become one with it, uh, somehow interact with it, you see? The interaction is, of course, the better thing to do, not just to be an observer, but to be an interactor. But then when you interact with it, you have to let whatever happens, happens. It just it just does. And you follow along and see what can you learn? What's the lesson there? What is it about that that is going to be valuable to you? So it's all a string of explorations not having any idea where you're going or why you're going there, but just going and seeing what happens and seeing what value that, that there is in it for you. And if you find no value, then change what you're doing. If you find value, then keep doing it. And four or five years go by and you'll have a whole different perspective of what's going on and, and understanding of it. And a lot of the questions you have now will just disappear on their own. The next question, Tom, that was from the MBT forum, that was also on the complexity of consciousness, um, has to do with the virtual avatar. He asked, how can it be if it is composed of 10 billion living cells that presumably have a form of consciousness? All this seems much more complex than the metaphor of rendered pixels on the screen. I think you've addressed some of that. If you could do yes. that further. Well, the reason... Okay, the reason that uh, the avatar is the way it is is because it has evolved within a simulation. Okay, all of those cells in that avatar evolved to be that way. Again, this is in a computer, in a simulation. Okay, now for some reason you think that every one of the cells is conscious like you're conscious or has consciousness in the sense that uh, it has its free will to make choices of what it does in a day. And that's not the case. Your avatar 
is the way it is because of the rule set. That's that's the evolution of the rule set and the initial conditions. So all of those cells, all of those functions, uh, you know, the way all your organs work, the way they all cooperate, at that level, all that took place in a computer. Okay, and it is the way it is. Now, within this computer simulation, every thing in this computer simulation that has free will choices to make now could be an avatar for something. All right, so that uh, that evolution produced a rabbit. Okay, then that rabbit makes free will choices. That's an opportunity for a consciousness to be the player for that rabbit. You see, now a rabbit's consciousness has a pretty limited set of free will choices. So that would be a pretty limited consciousness that would find that an interesting avatar. Now they're also the the uh, you know the humans and the dolphins and the orca and a lot of other things that have a lot more free will choices so those are those are uh, attractive avatars attractive platforms if you will for consciousness to then experience through those avatars to make their choices and thereby for you know be able to grow from those choices and those experiences so now look at an individual cell. What sort of free will choices does an individual cell have and what sort of avatar would want to uh, use, I mean, what sort of a consciousness would want to use a cell as an avatar to explore all the free will choices it gets to make? Well, you see the point, that doesn't really work out too well. A cell pretty much just does what the cell has to do. It has functions, it has reactions and interactions but all of those are very closely tied to the rule set and very little of that is free will choice. Without free will choice, then I don't call that being conscious. Okay, it is a product of consciousness, but that doesn't make it conscious. So those cells are just there because the rule set uh, was, you know, because that satisfies the rule set as far as the evolution of the potential inside of that uh, that uh, simulation. So there isn't really the conflict that you think going on. You are only seeing that because you see every cell as like a little conscious being with free will making choices, but it's not like that. Cells do what cells do because that's what the rule set is. And if a cell had uh, lots of free will choices that would attract the consciousness to use it as an avatar, then you know that would be different, but it doesn't have uh, very many, if any, free will choices. So it's it's not really attractive to a, an individuated unit of consciousness to use that cell as an avatar. See, all consciousness comes from the larger consciousness system, and all things physical are part of the simulation. Those things in part of the simulation that have a lot of interesting free will choices become avatars for the individuated unit of consciousness to explore reality and choice making. So that's kind of how that works. So there really isn't any inconsistency between uh, uh, the two, the cells and the, and, the, uh, and the individuated units of consciousness and avatars. It's all, you know, if you, you can see this all in one big, uh, big system. Some things make good avatars, some things like rocks don't. Rocks don't make a lot of free will decisions. 
You know, even when they roll downhill, it's not because they decided that downhill is where they want to go. They roll downhill because of gravity and other forces acting on them. So they, uh, they don't make good avatars. It's not a very exciting set of choices that you make if you uh, use a rock as an avatar. Same with a, same with a sail. All right, Tom, the next question on consciousness being fundamental is from one of the MBT forum users. And basically, he can't wrap his head around the concept of consciousness. Um, he purports a couple of theories, what if, if this, then that. I think for our listeners, it might be more helpful if you simply tell us why consciousness is fundamental. He is saying in one of his uh, statements Consciousness is an information system itself, which means that it logically cannot be fundamental. Information is fundamental then, and there can exist information systems beyond consciousness. So that's sort of the proposal there. Yeah, Would it be best? Yeah, I can, I can talk to that. He's kind of confusing, yeah, okay. a, couple, he's kind of confusing a couple of things. Uh, being fundamental doesn't mean that you're the only thing that exists. Being fundamental means that you're the source that everything else is derived, you know, is derived from you. Now there can be possibly more than one source. You know, if con- if if consciousness is fundamental, that doesn't mean there is just one big monolithic consciousness that could possibly exist. It just means that the consciousness that we call the larger consciousness system, that's the consciousness in which we are a part. And for us, that consciousness is fundamental and everything else is a part of that consciousness. That doesn't mean there couldn't be some other uh, uh, structure of consciousness that's outside of this. In other words, let me start from another another direction to get to the same place. I say that, that our larger conscious system is finite, not infinite, it's finite. And if it's finite, it has boundaries. If it has boundaries, there's could be something outside of those boundaries. Could be another quote larger consciousness system out there, and I and another uh, subset. And in my books, I kind of say I kind of take it to the point of you know how far could we how far could we take this uh, this uh, this idea? And I talk about our larger consciousness system just being a cell in a larger system of larger consciousness systems, if you will. And uh, even then take it farther uh, in this conjecture to uh, we're just one cell in a larger aomasaurus that uh, is made up of many of our own cells, you see. So all of that, though, is just conjecture. It's outside of our ability to know. As far as what we can possibly know and interact with, it's this one larger consciousness system of which we are part. Because we're a part of it, we can't get out of it to look around and see what's outside that boundary because we're a part of it. And thing, you know, being a part of it doesn't allow us to escape it and be a part of something else. We're a part of this. So that takes us back to the there are limits on what you can know and limits on your experience. And if that's a little hard to, to understand, uh, Go look at the very first talk I gave in, in London. It's just called the London Lecture, and I, I do a bit in there about uh, the uh, bacteria in, a, in, your, in your gut and a, a kind of a, a, a metaphor of there are limitations to what you can experience. 
based on the system that you're in, who and what you are. You can't necessarily experience all of reality. You can only experience that subset of it of which you are a product, you see. So uh, there's really not a any uh, inconsistency there. Consciousness is information. Now, I model that. I have a metaphor of that as a computer, if you will, as an information system, because it is an information system. And how we humans can think of information systems is in terms of computation, in terms of computers. That, for us, is an information system. So that makes a metaphor that allows us to talk about this information system. Okay. Free will awareness units are metaphors. Individuated units of consciousness are metaphors. Okay, reality has functions. It it is. We are. Now to understand it, we have to break that into concepts and metaphors that we can talk about that mean something to us, that we can discuss, that we have the conceptual experience in order to use the term. All right, that's where the larger consciousness system as the big computer, see, as a, as a uh, information system comes from, because it is information. That I turn it into the metaphor of this big uh, computer is just a handy metaphor that lets us see all the logical consequences of what it means to be an information system. Okay. So you have to not take things too literally. You have to see this as a big picture of concepts, you have to live gracefully with uncertainty. We can't nail everything down to a, you know, a certain thing. Inside that certainty, we fool ourselves. When we find certainty, we found a belief. So if you, if you want to uh, you know, picture all of this with certainty, then you will just be a believer in whatever model you come up with that it certainly must be exactly like this and these are all of its certain parts you see that's a dead end that is uh, not useful just believing it and you'll never know because you're a part of the system and you can't get outside of it so the best you're going to do with certainty is to make something up and then believe it we have to look at it holistically in terms of what we can know and that's how does it function? How does it relate? What are we here for? What are we doing? How does it work? And if you take all of those things along with, uh, well, for me, along with all of my experiences in the larger reality, then I came up with this model. And the model has various parts of it and has reasons, logic, why those parts have to be the way they are. And then we pull all these large logical parts together and that forms our model. It's a model. It's a set of metaphors. It's a way of describing something so that we can talk about it and think about it because we have to think in terms of language. Our language is in terms of physical, our physical reality. The language has grown up in terms of describing physical reality. So we need this language of ours in terms of physical language before we can even think about these concepts. We think in terms of language, concepts, metaphors. So that's what this model is. Uh, don't um, have the necessity to make something 
physical or certain out of the model. And I say this in my book over and over again, don't confuse the model of reality with reality. And don't try to force the model of reality to be your belief in a very specific reality. We're just trying to understand how reality works in terms of how we interact with it, its functions, and explain it in some logical way that enables us to derive one thing from the next to the next. And then, of course, a very interesting um, result of all of this is we take this logic, these metaphors, and we apply them and find out that they explain physics just as well as they explain metaphysics, that suddenly those things about our virtual reality that are confusing to scientists, like why see a constant and you know how does quantum mechanics work with, as probability and so on, that these things then become clear. And many other things too, the Zeno effect and, and um, uh, uh, you know, entanglement, all of these things then become understandable in terms of this larger picture. So the fact that the model tends to work tends to describe our experience, both subjective and objective, makes us think that the model has value, at least in, uh, in being able to understand the things we experience. So that's it. So we don't want to go too far turning this into something it isn't. Don't confuse the model of reality with reality. Reality is unknown. Another way to put this is you never get the source of the data in your data stream. Your reality has to do with the data in your data stream. You never get to touch the source of the data. You only get the data. You see, you get data and you interpret that data. The source of the data is not something that you get to uh, experience. You only get to experience the data. So that's why we always remain open-minded and skeptical and that's why this is always a theory and a, a set of metaphors, because that's necessary. We can't know everything. We cannot get outside of ourselves to see a bigger picture than that. We cannot watch ourselves being born because we, didn't, we weren't born yet, so we can't watch ourselves being born into this reality. There are certain things that are just logical uh, uh, problems, and we have to accept those. Uh, gracefully okay i hope that uh covers that i think so the next question from one of the mbt uh forum members is perceiving the quality of consciousness uh one free will awareness unit can't really know the true quality of consciousness of another through the intellect is it possible for an individuated unit of consciousness to know the quality of consciousness of another IUOC outside of virtual reality at the being level. Perhaps intuitively we can sense the approximate quality of another being. Sure. There are ways to do that. The, uh, I guess the, the fundamental principle here is that the more you grow up, the more you let go of fear and ego and belief, the bigger your reality gets. Okay. The, Richer is the data in your in your data stream. 
So the more you grow up, the larger the reality in which you live. So there's all sorts of things going on now in your reality that you have no awareness of, no contact with. You don't get any information on them. Most of those limitations have to do with your own limitations. You live in a small reality. That small reality only has certain kinds and types of information in it. You grow up, your reality gets bigger. It contains more information. You understand things at a bigger level, at a deeper level. So your reality grows with you as you grow. And eventually you grow up enough, you will find that you live all the time in this larger reality. You don't just live in the little reality you used to live in, you live in a much bigger reality with a much richer source of information. And one of the, one of the richer sources of information is understanding other people understanding what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what their needs are, how you can be helpful to them. And in that understanding, yes, you understand the quality of their consciousness to a much greater degree than you did before you grew up. See? So in a way it all works out very nicely because before you're grown up enough to get that information, you're really not grown up enough to deal with that information well. When uh, you're able to deal with that information well, and by that I mean you're not going to abuse it, you're not going to use it to manipulate people or to, uh, um, you know, to uh, inflate your own ego or deflate your own ego or whatever, then you, you learn these things. It becomes more obvious. So as you're capable of knowing, you know. And uh, that information is available. Um, in the database, there's a great deal of information in that database about a person's health, about a person's uh, spiritual quality, about you know their their uh, quality of their consciousness. All that information is there and available if you can access it and interpret it. You see, so when you grow up enough to access it and interpret it, then it will be yours to do so. Uh, until you grow up, it's probably a good idea that you don't have that information. It wouldn't, uh, you know, it, you wouldn't use it wisely. So, yes, it is available. Um, in order to have access to it, you just need to get rid of your ego and your fear.